Hello and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour. It's me, Alex Kulesh, joined by Chris O'Reilly. And we have a special Bundesliga episode today. And I don't know why I said Bundesliga so weirdly there, but it just shows how excited I am for this year's German Handball Championship. Do want to thank all of our Patreon members, as always, for supporting us. Um, and we have some new members as well, which uh, we'll get, a, as we promised, we'll get a shout out on the podcast. So uh, thank you for Pierre Kalia, who joined us, um, as well as Sigrid Bergman and Luke Naylor, who has come back to us. Uh, he... I, I'm pretty sure he stopped the membership a while ago, but has come back uh, as a Patreon member. He couldn't stay away. So um, if you do enjoy this podcast, sign up for our Patreon. So Patreon forward slash Handball Hour for as little as three euro a month or whatever the equivalent of that is in your local currency. Uh, you'll get a weekly podcast of the Morning Club coming at you as well as bonus podcasts like the one we had uh, last week uh, previewing the IHS Superglobe and the Panam Games and all the exciting stuff uh, that happened so look out for uh, more things to come on our Patreon channel so sign up uh, you'll enjoy it you'll get a shout out on the podcast and you might even become a guest like uh, Daniel Reed said <laughs> <laughs> but we won't promise that to everyone we've just come out of a international break which had some interesting games which we might touch on a little bit but the core of today's chat will be to talk about the winners and the losers in the Bundesliga so far for that we'll be joined by Sasha Stadt hey guys and also joining Bjorn Patson. the dream team is here again uh, and again we didn't tell them that the other person is going to be attending this chat but uh, we like to it's like to a blind surprise. <laughs> but you see we're still online yes yeah yeah <laughs> the love is there okay yeah so winners and losers of the Bundesliga season so far we're 11 rounds in for most teams and uh, some interesting stories throughout the league I think it's fair to say should we start what do you want to start with Alex winners or losers do we start with a positive note before we start trashing Kiel yeah, let's let's start let's start with the winners. Let's okay. start with the winners. You got one for us, Chris, to kick us off. Uh, I mean, I'm gonna take um, I'm gonna take one straight from the top row, and I think uh, it's a little bit of a, a surprise in how well they've been so far this season. And it's uh, Fuxa Berlin, and in particular, we can go into the players in the winners and losers here. But one in particular, I want to get everyone's thoughts on is Lasse Anderson, who for me has been the big winner of this season's Bundesliga so far? It's not surprising that they're on the top. It's surprising with the number of points that they have, uh, they're still unbeaten. And uh, they only gave one point in, uh, in Bumasbach away. And uh, they played some real good matches. For example, the one against Magdeburg, 
And uh, what you say with Lars Andersen, of course, he's a winner. But I would name the, the three Danes the winner. Lars Andersen, <laughs> Matthias Gitzel and Hans Lindberg. And I think they they have scored almost 50% of all Berlin goals. They're all among the, the top five in the, the top scorer list. Gitzel is the number two. And of course, Lars Andersen could not be expected that that uh, high number of goals that he scored. But uh, I think it's really this, this style they play. The Gitzels and uh, Lars Andersson, they, they do, did not depend that much on uh, on Jakob Holm last season, what you see now, that they can score without him, that they have the young uh, Niels Lichtlein. But I think a lot of things are handled directly between both of them, Lars Andersson and Matthias Gitzels. And if it comes to penalties, then you have Hans Lindberg and then you have uh, a Danish trio of top scorers in the German capital. I agree with uh, Björn, actually. It's just not Lasse Andersson, but if you see, uh, if you take a look at the statistics from the last game at Gummersbach, where they gave away a seven-goal lead in the second half, it was not one of the better games of Lasse Andersson. And I think the importance of him in this team now is a little bit underrated because Paul Drucks is out, Fabian Wiede is out, so key players from the backcourt are not playing right now. They will come back during the season, but right now there's more load on the shoulders of Lasse Andersson. And I think there were some people doubting his abilities. I think he's a quality player. I'm not sure if he's a world-class player. Of course, he's an international-level top player, no doubt about that. But consistency has been a problem <clears throat> of him. And if you take a look at the stats from the Gummersbach game, he had an off day. Füchse Berlin only, only got a point after a seven-goal lead. They ran a little bit out of gas in the second half. But If you take an overall look at the games he has played so far this season, he's been very, very impressive. I mean, everybody expected that from Matthias Gissel. And we know that Hans Lindberg will always score his goals. But Lars Andersson was a question mark. And until now, I'm very surprised in a positive way by his performances. Sasha, if you were to rank the top three reasons for why Füchserblin are at the top right now, And I'll give you three options to rank them. So one is just Matthias Gitzel. Uh, two is Jaren Sievert. And three is the youth system. So I'm going to give that to Kretschmar and the and the rest of the team. But like uh, the but youth gotta system. You've got to give it to Bob. Big Bob. Oh, yeah, yeah, big, yeah. Big Bob <laughs> oh you can't give that to Kretschmar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So th those three, how would you rank the importance of those three um, inputs into the season that Fuchs Berlin are having so far. The players would always say it's a mix of all three of them, <laughs> but that's a little that that's a little boring. So I would probably say that the 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 base for everything Fuchs achieved in the last 10 to 15 years is their youth system, because they are always able to fill up roster spots with younger players because. They don't have the money like, I don't know, Melsung has, maybe. They don't have the money that Kiel has. So they have to find ways to fill the roster spots with talented players anyway. And they did that. Niels Lichtlein, he will be an absolute massive player in the next 10 years, I'm quite sure, because he understands the game so well. And he's just one example. Maybe it doesn't work out with all the players. I don't know if Matthias Langhoff is good enough to be a Bundesliga player on this level or a Champions League player, let's say, because they want to go to the Champions League. But 
Drucks and Vida came from their use system. And now Lichtlein is the next one. I'm sure at some point Lasse Ludwig, the young goalkeeper, will be a cornerstone of their team. So I think you have to praise the use system and the combination of Gitzel and Sievert. Because I talked to Matthias Gitzel uh, a couple of times this season already, and he, th he said that Sievert and him, he lear they learned both that they have to find a different approach to games compared to last season, especially away games. And the Gummersbach game was the only game where they lost a little bit of their focus, also because there was a great atmosphere within the arena. And that's probably also a major factor why Gummersbach was able to come back. But I think the combination Sievert-Gitzel is working even better this year than it worked last year because both of them, they learned a lot. The things you were saying earlier, Sasha, about, about Lasse is, was the main reason why I mentioned him as a, as a big winner for this season. It, it's a player that we've spoken about a lot as somebody who all of a sudden was going to get a lot more responsibility in the team. And we're seeing that throughout the starting seven. There's so much responsibility on them to, to get the job done, even if there, there are times where the, the younger players, the, the rest of the squad, are filling in. But there is still a little bit of a question mark And we saw it last season about just how sustainable it is for the whole season. Bjorn, do you think it is something they can sustain for the entire season? This is exactly the problem. When you put the responsibility on the shoulders of players like Lars Anderson, of course you have the younger players, but they will, they will have to play the whole season, both more or less in attack and in defense. And uh, they will have the, the Euro ahead. They have a lot of international games with the European League ahead. So you saw it really last season at the end uh, that Gitzel was running out of power. So this is the point uh, that what, what Gretchen was saying, for example, in the last weeks is we need more width in the squad. Uh, we, we need more players. We need more for top quality players because we, we cannot rely only on a player like Gitzel that he plays 58 matches, 60 minutes on the top level. So this is, you have to give him the time to, to recover. And uh, this is exactly those players who jump in for Lars Anderson and uh, for Gitzel. Of course, Wiede comes back, Brooks comes back, they can jump in. This is exactly the point that uh, how much those key players can recover, that uh, when it counts from March to June that they have enough power, and still having in mind that for most of them, then the season is not over, but the highlight is still coming with the Olympic Games. So then you have to see what the... Of course, they have two weeks break, something like this, but uh, when it counts... You have to be on a high level. This is what we always talk in the advantage maybe for Barcelona, but they they have the, the men that they're lacking the mental strength as they don't play the, the home season. But in, in of course in Germany you see it with the we come to Melzung later that every team can beat every team. That uh, it's nothing you can you can rest. No more or less Berlin can rest the players in the European League uh, than in the Bundesliga. So Fixer Berlin, definitely a winner. Whether they stay winners, that's that's the question. But it, it is pretty amazing to see the gap they've already made at the top. Uh, of course, that result against uh, Gummersbach has set them back a little bit, but that they, they do have um, a little bit of space. Uh, anyone want to volunteer a loser into over the season so far? <laughs> Alex, don't you? <laughs> I can I can choose one at the moment. Go on. Uh, definitely, I would say it's uh, TBV Lemgo at the moment. They have expected much more. They're on the 15th position. 
They uh, on the 14th position. Sorry, they are only um, they have the same number of points as Vetla on the 17th. So and uh, they had a run of I think six or seven matches without any point, including the elimination in the German Cup. And this is definitely not what they had expected. So usually Lemgo is a team for a position between I would say seven and uh, ten. And if they have a good season, they can also jump into the uh, the European League position. For example, by the cup or finishing sixth. But this year it's really, really not running. And, uh, it's, I, I don't know exactly what, 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 what the problem is there. I think that when you start to have a kind of losing streak, then at, at the end it goes down and down and you lose matches which you have won if you're on the opposite side of the ranking, definitely. So there was really a lot of uh, mistakes in the, in the Lango matches. And, uh, you know, when you see that, um, those the start was quite okay, but uh, now they I don't know how, how long it is that they they had a real great match. So this is the point when you lose your confidence, um, you lose it maybe for too long in this season. I don't think that they will that they will relegate to the second division, but definitely they they are stronger. They have a stronger squad than the the position they have. I would agree on that. To be honest, I think that Lemgo, as Bjorn said, they have a better team than their current position shows. But they had some injury problems at the start of the season. For example, Tim Zoton was out. He's a key player for them because he got a lot of experience. And at some point, I think that also they had some lack of confidence because they went on a losing streak and... I was there to to commentate the game against Leipzig and Leipzig I think had a solid game especially on defense but they didn't have a world class game and Lemgo didn't find any solutions I think very high of Lukas Hutecek the Austrian playmaker of Lemgo I think he can be a very very good player in the future and I think probably he should look for a better club because he's that good of a player if you ask me so he's one to watch out for But with the rest of the team, they have a lot of solid players, also experienced players. It's not that young of a team, to be honest. Mm -hmm. They have like Bobby Schagen, they have Niels Verstein, um, they have other players who are not like 22, 23 years old. So they got experience, but they always have a lot of changes. We still remember that Hampus Wanne, no, not Hampus Wanne, Bjarki Maelison and Jonathan mm -hmm. Karlsborg left the club and they still were able to play attractive and and successful handball. So I give a lot of credit to Florian Kermann because it was not easy to make that transi transition. It's two very good players they lost. Yeah. But this season, it was a very sloppy start. And yeah, I can agree with Bjorn that, that it's maybe one of the big losers of the season so far, but also Wetzlar because I've been at Wetzlar for the game against Bergische HC. They look so, I don't know... With the, the body language is awful. It, it's I don't. It's just not fun to watch their games. And I will be um, at Eisenach on Friday to to be there against the game against Wetzlar. Actually, that will be very very important for both teams because Eisenach needs all the points they can get at home. But Wetzlar is under immense pressure. The team looks I don't know. I don't want to say wasted in some way, but I. I, I got the feeling this this team is so, I don't know, I don't find the right word. Boring is also not the right word to use in this sense. It's it's similar to Göppingen, you know? It's an older team. 
And I don't want to say that nobody cares about them. That's also not true. <laughs> but everybody's talking about Eisenach. It's a lot of fun to watch them because they play a different defense and everybody is sort of entertained when they play. But you're not entertained at all if you watch games of Göpping or Wetzlar. Just, just to continue about this Wetzlar story is usually when you when you make a surprise like this, you beat Kiel at home in the cup. You eliminate KV Kiel in the cup. And uh, this should boost your confidence until Christmas normally. And they won one match afterwards and uh, it's all over again. I cannot, I cannot imagine usually you, you run through the season like we beat Kiel on their ground in the cup. But the, the, the confidence did not last. This bottom half of the table is just phenomenal. You look from 11th down to 17th and there's one point between them all. So, you know, even even talking about these teams in their positions doesn't even feel relevant because, you know, one victory for a number of teams and a loss for another means they could be in the relegation places. Uh, I saw Ballingen a couple of weeks ago and they look better than a team in 18th place. Like they feel like a team that if some things click, then they're going to get a couple of wins all of a sudden and maybe join the rest of them on on the same amount of points. Um you mentioned Eisenach there, despite being, and I said, the, you know, the positions don't feel so relevant. They're in 16th at the moment, but they are joint uh, on seven points with a bunch of teams. Uh, the way they're playing is entertaining. They've got uh, a brilliant goal scorer. Are they, you know, the fact that they're even in the conversation and not on zero points, is that does that make them a winner so far, Alex? Yeah, I, I was going to bring it up because uh, in our preview podcasts I, I think both Bjorn and Sasha had pretty uh, harsh words to say about Eisenach which then I carried forward and then uh, and then they won their Eisenach opening just, game they, they won their opening game and started amazingly but they have reverted a little bit now um, when I was thinking that they're kind of mid-table still but when I look at the table they're, they're down in 16th of course uh, level 13th potentially but I think Mario Zender and Eisenach are winners because as uh, Bjorn and Sasha mentioned at least they're entertaining you know there's there, there's other teams in this competition who um, may not be the, the top teams but Eisenach are entertaining and they've got some big wins under their belt uh, including Ryan Nikolovin who I think are uh, one of my losers. And in particular, I'm going to say that Yuri Knorr is one of the losers of the Bundesliga so far. Because going back to predictions, and I got you guys, but I'll get myself this time. I said before the season started that Yuri Knorr is ready to have an unbelievable season, take it to the next level in preparation for the Euros in Germany, that he can take Ryan Nikolovin to the next level. And he just hasn't done that. We've seen some glimpses, especially over the last couple of weeks, where he's um, starting to show his uh, really incredible ability. But he hasn't been good enough, and Ryan Nikolovin haven't been good enough either. They sit on 11 points uh, so far in 7th place. So what's been up with uh, Yurik Knorr, Bjorn? 
I would say, um, put it together as the Ryan, Le- Ryan Nickelhoven uh, thing. Uh, Ryan Nickelhoven had so many injuries in the preparation and also even before the preparation and Uwe Gensheim was out for months. Then uh, it was uh, Ole Shepard who was out for months. Then now it is uh, Halil Yagandjad again who is out for a long term and there's some more players. So some young players like David Mouret jumped in. But I agree with you that the Leuven are not that strong as in the last season, as in the start in the last season. They were the surprise pack last year. They, I think they were, won the first six matches and then and nobody had expected a start like this. And this year, they are the cup winners and everybody expected a start like this. And uh, it's not working. As, as you mentioned, for example, the defeat, the defeat at Eisenhower. Usually, with a, with a squad like this, you cannot lose at Eisenhower. And I would also go back what Alex said, that Eisenhower belongs to the winners. Not only because it's entertainment to see, it's how how they start their adventure in Bundesliga and uh, that they, they, they really they, they impressed myself. I have to say I was completely wrong at the start of the season. So they impressed me in the way they were playing and also impressed me by the way Michel Kaufmann was coaching them. So, but back to Leuven, Jurik Nord did not have uh, the, I would say, the, the players left, left and right to him to, to improve that. And I would also say that maybe there was too much on his shoulders. Everybody said, yeah, Jurik Nord will become the star of the season, who will be the, the best player of the season, Gitzel or Knorr right before the season. And uh, maybe this, this responsibility and this, this public pressure is not, is not good for him. So I saw him, Gasha also saw him on, uh, on Sunday in Munich at the day of handball against Egypt, and he made a really good match. So he was, uh, he was something like uh, in his high level what he showed at the World Championship uh, in January, but it, it is the problem that there's too much responsibility maybe for him and too less top players next left and right to him. I would agree on that once again. I'm always agreeing with Bern today. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Just one final take on Eisenach and the team. They look inspired. They look inspired and Göpping and especially Wetzlar, they look uninspired. This is probably the word I was looking for earlier. But talking about Reinecker Löwen, I think that it's actually true. The players next to Juri Knorr are just not good enough. I think Jon Lindenkrone, the Danish right-back player, is a very good example. They lost Albin Lager again, who, who can look unexpired just from his body language in every single game, <laughs> but still can score seven or nine goals. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. the difference. I mean, he's not the emotional guy, but he hardly makes a lot of mistakes. So you can rely on him probably every single game. You say, okay, you get 80% from Lagergren. It's better than getting... 90% from Lindenkrone one game and 50% the next game because you know what you get. And I think yeah, with Jaganjac out for a long time, this is a problem also on the left-back position. Philipp Auansu, the young German left-back, at some point he had great games, but only for like 10, 15 minutes. Then he's really showing off because he has great shooting abilities. But then he's playing like 20, 20 minutes, like really awful. I watched the game Löwen at Eisenach, they made so many technical mistakes. And at some point, I also think that Juri Knorr, because you were talking about him, that he's maybe forcing it a little bit too much mm. because he knows he has to deliver. And he doesn't have like Jaganjac on the on the left side and Lagergren on the right side anymore. So that's a problem. And also, 
Ole Forsyth Sheffard was injured. And to be honest, I think we have to talk about him in our MVP conversation or yours, basically, because you see what happened to Wetzla since he left them and how he transformed Reinecker Löwen last year when he was playing. He's a difference maker. He's a real difference maker. He's not a world-class player, but MVP means most valuable player to a single team. And if you take him away from Reinecker Löwen, you see how they perform. You see how Wetzler is performing without him. They are shit without him for the last one and a half years. So he's a real difference maker. And for me, okay, Matthias Gissel is playing on, on, a, on a sky high <laughs> level. He's, he's, he's an MVP of MVPs. But Ole Foster Shepherd, he's a real difference maker. And that's also one of the reasons why Reinecker Löwen are not performing the way they did last year. He's such a versatile player as well. You know, you, you can you can throw him in anywhere and he will do a job. But what? Just one thing on the on Yuri Knorr last bit, because I think you both you both said it and some stats to back up about him forcing it, him having a lot of response, like too much relying on his shoulders. Is you know you look at his goals scored to the shots missed, thirty nine goals scored, thirty seven shots missed. And that includes 11 penalty goals. And then something that Alex really loves, the assists to turnover ratio. Assists 27, turnovers or technical faults 21. So that's uh, almost one-to-one. -one. And you see that throughout the uh, Leuven side as well. You know, you've uh, Gustav Davidson as well, whose uh, assists to turnover is 22 to 25. Uh, Nicholas Gerkeluka, 19 to 12. And... Uh, Jan Lindenkrona, 17 to 15. So it's a lot of turnover possessions from uh, those backcourt players and uh, maybe gives a little bit of insight into what's going on there. Various games where they got more than 15 technical faults and you can hardly win games when you have like 15 technical faults. I mean, the goalkeepers, they have done a very good job at Rhein-Neckar Löwen so far this season. I mean, <laughs> look at the goalkeepers they have, but still... If you have 15 turnovers, it's hard to win handball games in the Bundesliga. But does that not really come down to Jurik Dorr? Uh, because he's the person who's setting this attack up. He is controlling it. So the tempo that he's playing, and maybe the players beside him are not at that absolute peak that he needs to for Reinecke-Löwen to be like first in the championship. that That's for sure. Um, but the players beside him are maybe not good enough, but Reinecke-Löwen sitting seventh on 11 points and he's the one who's setting the tempo and he has the role of making the team better. And right now, he's not making the team better. Uh, at times, he's performing well and make himself look good but overall I don't think uh, he's making Reinecker look good right now. Maybe you can compare it a little bit of the situation of uh, Shehazem Bucharest and the Macedonian national team with Christina Neagu and Kirill Lazarov. So in the end there's one player he's the game changer and uh, if he's not running good you give him the ball. In this so. case Rick Knorr is more the one who has the ball and wants to spread it and want to bring his uh, team players in a perfect position, but in the end it's him. So if yeah. Kiri Lazarov scores eight goals, you're more or less 
he had 15 or 16 attempts. And then at the moment, Christina Niagu has a similar stats. So if there's only one player, so everything, uh, the whole responsibility of a team is putting on. So then uh, in the end, you have to allow him to make mistakes because nobody else wanted to make a mistake, maybe. And before we were talking about the players next to Yuri Knorr, the only player who's still next to him from last year is Janik Kohlbacher, and he's a mm. line player. So mm. if you if you put two cans of beans next to Matthias Gissel in the backcourt, <laughs> he won't win games either. You know, it's it's not working. So uh, I mean, Yuri Knorr can only do so much. <laughs> Sorry, that's gonna that's gonna show up on uh, Handball's Canal in tomorrow. You know. Uh, German German commentator calls Gustav Davidson a can of bean. Bean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah not, he got red right hair. So, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Sasha, give us a winner. I think it might be a surprise that I call them a winner right now is SC Magdeburg because Oops. they got three points uh, on the negative side of, of uh, their balance, but... Uh, I think it was a loss at Füchse Berlin. And you can lose at Füchse Berlin. So that's all right. They got a draw. I have to check. I, I checked it before. They got a draw um, Leipzig. At, at Leipzig, uh, uh. where other teams lost. <laughs> so it's also mm. all right. And they had some impressive performances. They won um, by 16 at Wetzlar. All right. We, we talked about Wetzlar earlier. But they won against Flensburg. And they won against Kiel. And they won against Hanover. They won by 12 against Bergische HC right now. They are back with almost all players on the roster. Gisli Christiansson is the only player they miss right now. There are rumors that he might be back before Christmas. They're almost at 100% and they're clicking again. And it's only one loss and one draw so far. So for me, that's really a clear winner because they're in a very, very good position to win the league again. Everybody is talking about Füchse Berlin. Everybody is talking about the bad start of Kiel, and then they don't have a good transition, like from older to younger players, that they still need time. Everybody's also talking about Melsung, that they're finally winning games. But nobody's talking about Magdeburg. They're the Champions League winner, and they won the league in 22. So why are we not talking about Magdeburg? I don't get it. They're only Gisli Christiansson away from, a, I don't know, a 15-game winning streak. They're that... I, f I f fully agree with you. They click, they're clicking as a team. They yeah. don't maybe don't have the best players on the world at any position, but they're a very good team. And that's, that's quite impressive. I don't know how Bennett Wiegert is doing it because every time I talk to him and I meet him somewhere, he's like, ah... It's so hard. Schedule is so hard, and this this <laughs> game is so hard. And then they win like I don't know, like ten by ten. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I, I I get his point, but there's no injuries except for Gisli Christiansen, and that was a freak injury, and he had some some history on the shoulder injuries before. So every other player of their of their roster is playing, and this is also key if you want to win handball games. Mikkel Damgore may be injured. Uh, just oh no! For, uh, but he's been he's been good this season. He's been good this season. Mikkel Damgore. Um, oh dear. Yeah, but Bjorn, you're gonna say something about Magdeburg? Yeah, but but just to follow up what Zasha said, they may, might not have the, have the best team on the world, 
but maybe have the best coach of the world. So and uh, the best physio and the best coaching staff and the best. Uh, and you see Bennett Vigat how he works. That uh, I think his day has 28 hours only for video. Everything. So I, I don't think he sleeps that much. So in in the end, this is how they prepare on other teams. And I fully agree with Sasha again. I don't know what is going on today. I, we permanently agree on each other. So um, I agree that everybody said, okay, Magdeburg can then have a chance if Gisli is back. So Gisli will be back in January. So this means if they stay in this position as they are now, and they have the wider squad compared to Fuchs Magdeburg, then uh, to Fuchs Berlin, and uh, then if they're in a similar position in March or April, they definitely have more options. And uh, this means that in the end of the, the table, if nothing happens to their key players again, like Omar Magnusson or Mozaukstrup or maybe Nikola Portner, the goalkeeper, then Magdeburg is definitely one team which can finish ahead of Fuchs. And in this season, finishing ahead of Fuchs means to become the champion. They, yeah, the squad is really, really solid and... Uh, it's funny, Sasha, you saying that, that people aren't talking about Magdeburg. If, th- if that is the case in Germany, I don't know if they're just used to... I don't know, there's nothing super spectacular about what they're doing at the moment. They're just, you know, going under the radar, winning matches. Maybe that loss early to Berlin kind of already had some people writing them off, but everything looking really good for them. And I have them as one of my winners as well. It was not only the loss at Berlin... It was also this real big loss at Barcelona when they were not competitive on domestic and on international level. And since the loss in Barcelona, they won all the matches. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. But, uh, with the Champions League, we know, well, you don't need to win the opening two games of the season. You just need to win the last two. And, and you have to say that the signings that they made have uh, really clicked. Uh, being Felix Clark, yeah. who I think has probably been arguably their best player uh, so far this season, um, Lagergren has just slotted in and made sure that Omarini Magnussen has time to come back. He's still nowhere near the level that he was at, but by having Lagergren there, it just means that Magnussen doesn't have the pressure and he can ramp up to it. And, you know, Smarison has done what all Icelandic playmakers do. He just slots in and does the job. Uh, add on top of that, uh, Oscar Bergendahl, who was halfway through the season last year signing, you know, you just look at that squad and it just, it's so solid. There, there's no weakness to it anywhere and they can deal with injuries. They can deal with a tight schedule and um, uh, yeah, I agree. They're just primed for a title challenge and it, it really comes down to you know literally Matthias Giesel versus the world the world being Magdeburg <laughs> in the lead up well, one thing don't you, you should not forget is after the last season when they become Champions League winner everybody said okay how can they replace Kai Smith for example when he left to Flensburg and you see he could be replaced so uh, in, in this case everybody said okay Giesel Gisterson is injured and Kai Smith left how can you can you replace this duo which was incredible important for winning the Champions League? And you see they, they cope with it. And I absolutely yeah. agree with Alex. Definitely Felix Klar is the best new arrival in Bundesliga. Yeah, a hat of Simon Pitlick. 
and everybody was yeah. talking about Simon yeah. Pitlick and he's a great player but he still has problems to adapt to a new system although he knows the coach and he still has problems to adapt to the Bundesliga because it's a different level than the Danish league and although Pitlick has shined at the World Championship in January it's still a different level Matthias Gitzel when he first arrived at Füchse Berlin did a better job coming to the Bundesliga and adapting right away but talking about Magdeburg We also have to talk about the goalkeepers, Nicola Portna and Sergei Hernandez, both over 30% saving percentage. And it's also a big issue because in the last couple of years, they were not too happy with the goalkeeper performances in Magdeburg. Portna has made a big jump, 33%. So he saves every third shot. And you take that at this as a coach every time. If you have one of three saves, it's, it's all right for your team. And he has done a very good job. I think so far this season he has been the best goalkeeper in the Bundesliga, actually. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think Nicola Portner has taken a step forward. Would you say it would it be harsh to call Steven Putlik one of the losers in the Bundesliga so far? I, I would, I would say so. Not only because he hasn't, he's taken time to um, progress into the Bundesliga, which is fair enough. He's still been good. I think he's really been um, good for Flensburg. But also the, the injury is just really, uh, really tough for him. I think he's a loser because of circumstance, not because of himself really? uh, in the Bundesliga so far. Uh, he's taken all of the challenges of coming into the Bundesliga where you have a hard schedule, you adapt as... Um, a tougher style of play. Everyone's targeting you as well. Everyone's targeting you and you get an injury a third of the way through the season. And that's just life. And that's the type of life that leads you to becoming a player like Duvniak who can barely walk at uh, 33 years old. <laughs> I would not call him a loser because um, in the intermediate balance, you just have to see he had a new club. He had, as you said, everything like... Uh, You, you come as the, what was it, excellence award player of Europe, so the best player of Europe in the last season, which he might have been. So he was awarded for it, so he got this trophy. And uh, so then you come with a new coach to a club, and uh, the club has, from my impression still, the best squad in, in the club's history. And it's not working at the start, and then you get injured. And then everybody said, what is with this pit league? Why is he not scoring goals? Yeah, he's injured, so he cannot play. So, and uh, I think what Sasha said, um, Matthias Gittel was lucky to have a better start uh, last year in Berlin. And maybe it's a little bit different of the, of the character. But I really say that at the end of the season, when we're talking about winners, losers and MVPs, we will definitely talk about Simon Pütli. Because uh, when, when he is on that level that he played for Denmark and uh, that he learned that in Bundesliga it's not Danish league, then uh, he will be in combination with the, with the sport they have. He, he will be among the MVP nominees at the end of the season. Yeah, and, and just to say, you know, Simon Putlik uh, in, I believe, was it 10 games or uh, nine games that he played? Yeah, and nine games. Oh, even less. Not, nine games in the Bundesliga. Uh, he did score 47 goals, uh, 45 goals, has 37 assists and is shooting 57%, which is pretty good 
Um, you know, 57 is just, just around there. And I think he really started picking up um, as the season wore on and, yeah, got that unfortunate injury, which, do we know if the, it will rule him out of the European Championship? He should be fit by the European Championship, right? I think he's ruled out, uh, they said, until the end of the autumn period. So uh, just in time to be fully healthy for Denmark. <laughs> which is exactly which is exactly what everyone wants to hear. <laughs> We've managed to go quite a long way again and uh, risk uh, rushing through some teams before Bjorn has to leave us. Uh, we still have somehow not talked about Melsung and, and Kiel, which is impressive. <laughs> yeah. Which is very impressive. So, uh, dealer's choice, Bjorn. Which of the two do you want to go for, Melsungen or Kiel? I, I go for Melsung because uh, this is really funny. Everybody said, "Okay, Melsung, they have a big a big budget, and uh, they they never get anything." And this year there was I talked I talked with two players for a long time with Julius Kühn and with Ivan Martinovic. What has changed in Melsung? And what they say is nothing. So the only thing is what he has been lacking. Liars. Okay, I, of course, then as a good journalist, you ask them, no, this is not true. What changed? So what they said, this is all the matter of confidence. We said when you have, we had a lucky, a lucky schedule at the start, the three matches, right? The three home matches. So they had six points after three matches. And they said, oh, always our defense was good. And then we, we had our confidence in attack. And then comes a player like Dennis Christopans who really improved the team. And uh, then um, what they stopped talking about, what they both said is about season goals. They said we're not talking about any what we where we want to finish the season, where we're not finished. So they they said the pressure was lower. And when you when you win three matches in a row, Melbourne, everybody's already happy. So which is not normal because usually they win two, they lose two, they win three, they lose one. Something like this, but they had a, a, their club starting record uh, with uh, six wins in a row. <laughs> but then, of course, they lost against Bergisharte, which were the first points from Bergisharte. But in the end, then they lost against Berlin uh, by a result which was much huger than the gap of two the two sides was. So I I really say that Belzungen is at the moment still the, the surprise pack, and they said they were laughing about it when. All the discussion started. Can Melbourne start? Uh, can become a German champion? I say usually they say when start Melbourne to win a match. So the, 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 <laughs> even the, the external view on Melbourne is completely different. The arena is full. They said we play against. Uh, I think it was Erlangen on the Monday night, and the arena was sold out. They said the interest is there, and um, they say everything's about confidence. They they're not playing a different style of handball. They got the confidence and attack they have. What I have to say with Sasha about the best goalkeeper duo with uh, with Dimic and uh, oh I forgot it again. Um, I always miss the Moravsky. Moravsky, yeah. Moravsky, yes. So they have a very good, uh, very good goalkeeper duo, and the defense was always good. And now they start scoring, and uh, with a player like Vitopans, you can score from 18 meters, I would say. Then uh, you have different weapons now, and uh, of course now they get also some injuries in the squad. And then we have to see if the width of the squad is big enough to keep on that position. But definitely, when we only talk about the first 11 rounds, Melsungen is among the winners. Yeah, absolutely. I was in Melsungen for the game against Stuttgart, and they they totally crushed them. Stuttgart had no chance at all, and it looked easy for Melsungen. 
And that's what Bjorn said. The confidence makes such a difference. They won the first three games at home. Yeah, that was a bit, a little bit of luck when it comes to the schedule, but that's not their fault. And then they went to Kiel, and I think they led by nine midway through the second half. And it was really a great performance, and I think that was the key game for their season. They won away from home at Kiel, where they usually lose by, I don't know, 10. <laughs> so... <laughs> They they won there, and then they got this kind of confidence. And I talked some minutes to Finn Lemke, and he said, it's not actually the offense, but our defensive system we play is working better right now because Adrian Chiposh, and I know <laughs> he tends to get, yeah, a lot of credit <laughs> from you, Chris. Yes. And I still remember the podcast, I think, during the World Championship, right? Uh, you did yeah. with him. And I know that he tends to get uh, red cards and two minutes like quite often, but he's done a great job so far in the Bundesliga. And yeah. give credit to him. I didn't think it would work out that quickly. And that's also one of the reasons why Malzung is playing successful handball right now. And 18 goals for Adrian Sheposh as well. 18 goals, five misses, and his own special, uh, his version of the assist to turnover ratio uh, blocks to two minute suspensions 12 blocks 11 suspensions he's winning in that area that's too. that's pretty good <laughs> and you have to oh, add defensively christopans i think uh people forget about dennis christopans in defense and it might seem a little bit weird that he plays number two in defense and you might think that that's just kind of hiding uh a giant players there but he takes up so much space in that defense, uh, in that number two position, where he's literally, it gives so much freedom to Adrian Shibosh in the third, uh, being the center defender, to just know that he can cheat over one side, knowing that there's three meters that are covered by one player uh, to, to his right, so... I think that's that's an impact that Dennis Christophans had on PSG for a long time and has brought it over to um, Melsungen. Definitely winners. Good vibes in Melsungen is not something that uh, I would have predicted at the start of the season. And Melsungen being a feel-good story is probably, <laughs> you know, it's it's it's... You know, we, we've bullied them for so long. They've had so many bad seasons. It, it, it stopped being funny at this stage, so I'm happy they're, they're they're actually winning for once. We've spoken so much over the last month or so uh, about Kiel, so we don't have to spend so much time in it, but it would be good to get both of your takes, Bjorn and Sasha, on, on what's happening there. The, the ship being steadied a little bit on it, but, you know, to introduce what you two are going to say about it, already in our pre-season podcast, both of you kind of saw this coming as well. Maybe not in the exact way that it's happened, but you did not have a lot of confidence in how they were going to be this season. So uh, what do you think is, has been the issue or the issues with Kiel so far, Sasha? Well, I think the issue is not the goalkeeping. Although yeah. a lot of people say you lost Nicholas Landin and he's not there anymore. But if you take a look at the statistics, the shots per save, uh, Samia Belasen is leading the league at one6 and Tomasz Mirkwa is in sixth position, 1.46. Their saving percentage of Belasen, 
this is really incredible. Okay, he has played just about two hours. And Thomas Schmirk war 31.5%. That's also good enough. So it's not the goalkeepers. And then there's people saying, yeah, maybe Landin would have had that one save more. I don't think so, because I don't think the goalkeeper is the issue right now in Kiel. It's that their offense is, and I used the word before, uninspired, except for the skipper, who's trying all he can, and sometimes also doing the Yuri Knorr, so forcing it a little bit too much. But he's doing a good job. He's a young player. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of experience. So hats off to him. He's trying. But Harald Reinkind, I don't know. Dufniak looks so slow right now. And yeah. I'm a big admirer of Domago Dufniak over the years. He's uh, a legend, obviously. And other players, I think they're missing Steffen Weinhold on defense a lot. A lot. And yeah, I don't know what's going on. Because it's always the shooting Eric Johansson and when he's not on fire they have difficulties winning games and stuff like that <laughs> and then I was in Paris for the game against Kiel and they won for the first time I don't know in eight or nine years they won in Paris so I don't get it maybe it was the circumstances like this game doesn't really matter and every Bundesliga game matters so there was not so much pressure and PSG didn't have a good game also But I think in the Bundesliga, it's different because teams right now understand they can beat Kiel. And that's really hard for, for Kiel now. Because if Wetzlar is going to beat you on your ground, as Bjorn said before, <laughs> every other team can beat you as well. Every other team knows we can beat them. And usually you went to Kiel and you know you would go home without any points. And Melsung won there. Wetzlar won there already in the cup. So other teams, they can win there as well, and they know it, and they think that's a major problem for Kiel. I totally agree with Sasha. I still say uh, with a keeper like Niklas Landin, it would have been different. Maybe when we not only talk about the percentage and one or two percent more, but uh, those, those balls maybe were crucial in the last five minutes. Uh, I fully agree that Thomas Wirkwa is a great He's doing a great job, and uh, Belasen is also a good goalkeeper. So it's always a good a goalkeeper can only shine with the cooperation of the defense. And there, I absolutely agree. Weinhold is missing in the defense. Pekela was out for, uh, I think, eight weeks on the start. So without Weinhold and Pekela, the defense is weakened. Uh, some others are not quick enough. Then um, they put the focus on Johansson, and I agree. And Russia again. You take the words out of my mouth. <laughs> Kipagoto is really the problem. What they're talking is uh, that uh, he has to fit in the system. This is what they're always talking about. They said he's the best talent of the world, but he has to fit into the system. Give this kid the ball and say him, you don't have to fit in the system. Uh, for the girls. And it's just <laughs> it's bigger success for the club than to say that they exactly have to fit in the good old skill system. Then just say, give him the ball and score. So this is that. I think they understand it now that uh, the understanding between Skipper Goto and the rest of the team is getting better. Uh, he learned German, what I heard. And, uh, but in, in my opinion, he's 21. And of course, he's maybe the biggest talent in the world at the moment, depending on other power island players. 
Would you mind these 12-year-old center backs from one of the 17 islands? We have not seen. Uh, true that, um, but I always uh, what what I say. Maybe it's a joke from my side. I don't know if it, you can take me serious at that point. Maybe Kiel this season focus on the Champions League, but they never did. They always say we have to focus on Bundesliga to qualify for the Champions League. Maybe when you see reading the matches in Paris or what they did in Zagreb. Okay, Zagreb was at this time not a perfect team, but they're number one in the Champions League group. They won at Paris. Of course, you, you should not lose for Bundesliga matches and the cup match uh, when you're only at the beginning of November. So, But in the end, uh, it's like Gary Lineker saying, uh, we have uh, seven players on the court at the end of the season. Uh, you never know what how the season will go on. There are, uh, there are five points below Magdeburg and seven below Fuchs and Berlin. But. Before we let you both go then, let's do a little uh, nomination for Alex's MVP race. Uh, Sasha, you did mention Oliver Sell uh, Shefford. Anyone else you want to throw in there and why? And of course, we can't say Geitzel because Geitzel is number one. That's obvious. Geitzel is <laughs> number one. And then it's about ranking four other players. <laughs> <laughs> So far into the season. So th- this is, uh, yeah, to this date, it's not looking forward into the future. It's to this date. Well, Manuel Zehnder at Eisenach, I think you have to talk about him as MVP, obviously. Um, I mentioned Ole Fossil Shefford, although he didn't play that many games, but the impact he has on the team is just too big. That's... That's probably it right now. I think Matej yes. Klima, Matej Klima at Leipzig, mm. has surprised mm. a lot of people in a very positive way. So I just want to mention his name not as an MVP, but as a surprising player nobody was talking about one year ago when he was still playing in the second league in Lübeck. So he's also a player to watch. And Bjorn, I do a crazy nomination because I nominate two coaches: Utjon Valo Sigurdsson and Misha Kaufmann. Because we have not talked about Gumasbach yet. They definitely belong to the winners. So my crazy nomination is not on the court, but on the bench. It's Kaufmann and Sigurdsson. To be fair, Sigurdsson could probably do a job for most teams still and uh, and be among the top scorers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, another, uh, on, on Leipzig, another great uh, performer for them has been uh, Viggo Christiansen. I've been very impressed with him for the most part. Uh, this season, he's taken a lot of responsibility on the team, and he had a little bit of a a positional battle as well at uh, at right back with the return of Franz Semper. He's managed to to take that position and make it his own. Uh, good stuff. Thank you both. That was fantastic. Appreciate it again. All the best to you. Cheers. Thank you to Sasha and Bjorn. Brilliant stuff as always from the two of them, and uh, some input for your uh, MVP race as well, Alex, which uh, I'm sure the supercomputer will uh, will take <laughs> into consideration as we release the next one shortly. Any other players that you, are you going to throw in there to tempt us with that we haven't mentioned? It, 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 it is difficult, but for Kai Smits is trending up for me uh, as Putlik has dropped, uh, got injured. It, Kai Smits has kind of been unleashed which which has been good to see, and you may look at it, and uh, Smiths isn't reaching the like crazy highs that he had in terms of goal totals over the last couple of games. But you have to remember that he's not taking penalties. Yeah. So he's actually uh, in terms of 
open play goals. He's he's right up there, um, kind of scoring seven or eight goals from open play per game over the last while. Although it's it, it is difficult. Um, there's just so much movement um, around. There's very few players who are kind of go, going to the top and solidifying their position apart from Giesel, right. who is just averaging a quintuple and doing ridiculous things. Every day um, of the week. And I always like to try throw in a, uh, a goalkeeper, which uh, Nicola Portner was in there uh, for Magdeburg. He might stay there for Magdeburg uh, as their best player this season so far because they've Felix Klar has been fantastic, but they've kind of taken turns, uh, this Magdeburg team, to see who 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 is uh, better or worse. Which is a good position yeah, to be so in. Good, as we talked about, they have a, prop, it, it, they it have is, a proper squad. It is squad. pretty good. <laughs> okay, then we'll find out uh, who that is. Just a couple of things I want to touch on before we go. Uh, we will have a morning club later in the week uh, for our Patreon fans. And uh, we had a lot uh, last week about the... the it, non-European handball scene and uh, I think it would be remiss of us not to mention what happened in the uh, Pan American Games last week where well we didn't see any of it in the final weekend because (laughs) inexplicably (laughs) the bloody Pan Am Sports Channel decided not to to broadcast the semi-finals or the finals of the men's competition despite showing all the other games which is an absolute disgrace Um, but we were following it on the old teletext, uh, following the live <laughs> score updates, and saw that, uh, first of all, USA missed out on the bronze medal by the narrowest of margins to Chile. And Argentina surprised uh, Brazil uh, with a seven-goal win, despite a uh, first-half red card to Diego Simone, and managed to uh, book their spot for Paris 2024. Yeah, really, really impressive from Argentina. For some reason, we just have Brazil above Argentina. Like, in my head, I have Brazil above Argentina because I think this Argentina team is probably kind of has gone through a bit of a transition from uh, top level, but they've actually just continued to get better and have actually been better than Brazil over the last maybe five years. Uh, But for some reason... I still have Brazil coming in because they have the the bigger stars. I think the the uh, Argentina, you know, the, there's only so much that Diego Simeone can do, and in this case, he got a red card at the start of the game, and they still won without him. Um, really impressive. Again, couldn't watch it, so I can't tell you <laughs> what happened in the game and how, how it unfolded. Uh, so, but uh, yeah. Very impressive Argentina, Argentina who book an Olympic place. And really impressive from the US to uh, almost beat Chile. Um, this is a... They came back. They were right there uh, at the end. Uh, one goal in a 28-27 to Chile in that bronze medal match. That would have been a real big result for the USA. Getting a medal at the Pan Am Games would have been uh, quite impressive. But not to be, uh, but yeah, congratulations to Argentina. Bucky, that spot for the Olympics. And as I said, we'll be back later in the week with uh, a morning club focus around the Superglobe, which started this morning as a recorded Kielce, narrowly avoiding a shock defeat against Al Naima, which we kind of uh, alluded to last week in the podcast. So 
interesting to see how those groups play out and if there's any surprises along the way for now thank you Alex and thank you all for listening we'll catch you next time goodbye